Hey, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all and just excited to be able to to share with you and continue in our series in the book of Galatians. You know, we've been going through this whole book and just even to remind us that what this book is, is this is a letter written to a group of people. It's been inspired by God, inspired by God, and then written by Paul, Paul the Apostle, who then writes out these words of some encouragement and some call out and and all of that to a group of people, specific group of people in a specific time and place, and it's the people of Galatia. So you can see on the screen here, this is where Galatia is. It is in this is modern-day Turkey right here, kind of in the center area. And you've got some cities that maybe you'll read just as you read your Bible. You see cities like Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Those are the, some of the cities that you would read about in, in this place called Galatia. And so you've got this letter that's being written to these people. And it's actually written to churches in cities, not just to individuals. So they're reading these things as groups of people and then taking that in and seeing how that, you know, affects their lives and their churches and all of that. And sometimes I just, I think about that and then I think about these letters written to these places and it makes me think, what would be in God's letter to Calvary Church, right? If there's a letter that was written to Calvary Church that was inspired by God and then written by somebody that was actually writing these words from God to us here at Calvary, what would be in that letter, right? And so uh, maybe, maybe you've thought things like that before, and um, we're going to have a chance just to kind of process through and think about what that would be. But I want us first just to get into our portion of this letter today. And so we'll read through what we have today. It's the book of Galatians. Grab a Bible. Could you grab a Bible? Um, Galatians 4, 8 to 20. I'm actually going to start with verse 7 just to kind of give us a little reminder of what came beforehand. Okay, but it's like Romans and your Bible near the end. Romans, the two Corinthians um, books, and then you get into Galatians. So that's where you find it. Galatians 4, we'll read 7 to 20. Okay, so here we go. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so you now, now that you are in Christ Jesus, you are not a slave, you are an heir, you are a son. And all the things that a first century son would get, all the rights of that, all of you as followers of Jesus have those rights from God. You are a son of God. And then it says, verse 8, however... At that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years— He's talking about there like all the, like kind of like the Jewish customs and the festivals and the holidays and all of that. Okay, and he says, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You've done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. 
Like he basically, like, I think he got sick when he was passing through, ended up staying there, telling about Jesus, and all these people got saved, and now we read a book called Galatians, right? It's kind of cool. So, so it was because of this bodily illness I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, and this they is, we've talked about these, the Judaizers, these people that tried to bring in these Jewish customs, okay? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it's good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I'm present with you. My children, with whom I'm again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I wish I could be present with you now and to change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. All right, so that's what we have going on in this passage. We'll dig into it, obviously, a bit more. But what I want to do right now is have you grab, if you, hopefully you got one of these, but like in the bulletin has a little outline, okay? Grab this. If you didn't, just grab any piece of paper nearby and a pen. There's pens in the back of the seats in front of you. I think, you know, three quarters of them work probably. So, you know, uh, good luck. But if it doesn't work, throw it in the ground. Okay, don't put it back because then they'll just continue to not work forever. Uh, it's like the empty carton of milk in the refrigerator. All right, we don't need that. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> what I want you to do right now is just consider this. Like what would God write in the letter to Calvary Church? And just take a minute just to jot some notes of what do you think God would write in the letter to Calvary Church. Now remember, what God, would, what God would most likely write doesn't equal everything that you like. Okay? <laughs> so just but think about the question. Go. Take a minute. Thirty more seconds. <laughs> it's a short letter. <laughs> All right. All right, let's start to bring it back. And, you know, you can keep writing, keep like thinking about these thoughts as we go. I'm going to give you some more time at the end to, to think about it again after we've gone through all of this. So we think about, okay, God, what would you say to us here? Now let's dig into a little bit more of what God was saying to them. And that might help us consider what he's saying to us. Okay, so this first chunk of these passages in verses 8 through 11, like one of these key verses here is this verse 9. Okay, so you've come to know God, or rather be known by God. So why are you turning back again to all these weak, worthless, elemental things? Now, 
Well, what we've got going on, then he talks about like the feasts, the days, the months, and the seasons, and all of that. And what I want to say to us here is don't give up grace and return to religion. Okay? Don't give up grace and return to religion. And I'll explain a bit of what I mean by this. Okay? So the, these people were, they were slaves to religion, even in this area that they, they were located, okay, in Galatia. These people in Galatia, this is Asia Minor, this is part of the Roman Empire, it's all this Greco-Roman culture, right? And so we've talked about it a lot, but it's this whole thing of within Greco-Roman culture, it's that every part of their lives is, is part of the worship of these Greek or Roman mythological gods, right? And so... It involves rituals, it involves sacrifices to make, it involves um, specific detailed instructions of how their life should work, even their, how their social lives are supposed to work, how business works. All of that is all surrounding like this whole thing of the gods, right? And so they are used to having all of this kind of structure and rules and laws and all of that. And then now the, the gospel has come to them. They've heard about Jesus and remembering this is all taking place like only a couple decades after the resurrection of Jesus. This is, these are, this is new, this is young, this is fresh. They're kind of figuring it all out, even though, hey, here we are still kind of figuring it all out, right? Like 2,000 years later. But these people are, are just new into it. And so they're, they're experiencing the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, and they're following him. And then as they're doing that, though, in come these people that we call the Judaizers. And these people said, no, 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 you don't just get grace. You got to follow the law, right? You got to follow all of these these customs of circumcision and the dietary laws and the festivals and the feasts and, and all of that, you have to do that also. There's nothing wrong with celebrating a festival, okay? It's when it becomes something you have to do is what they're talking about, okay? Now, so all of that is coming, and for them, it actually was like a, a comfort. It was enticing to them to go back into laws and rules because that's what they were used to. It was familiar. It was tangible, right? It's easy for us in our human minds. Like, we want what is tangible, what we can get our minds and our hands around. And, and so for them, like, when they started to hear about all the, the Jewish laws, they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's like what we used to do with Artemis and all these other gods, right? And so they're getting back into what was familiar to them. Now, things like grace, receiving grace, that's that's fuzzy, you know, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's intangible. It's hard to understand. And so it was enticing for them to get back into all of that. But he says, no, now that God knows you, don't go back into all of that. And, you know, for me, I, some of this, this whole thing of don't give up grace and return to religion, this is for me, it's actually been sort of a hard thing throughout my life. I think it's easier for me to just get into what are the, like, follow the rules, like check the boxes, right? Get the, the stars on my chart kind of thing with my faith. And, and um, so I just want to even tell you guys, like, a little bit of my story of why um, I, like, why I feel that way and why I kind of experience God in that way sometimes. And it, it all comes from some really cool, good things. Uh, so... We go way back, way back to when my parents got married, okay? Uh, this is like 65 years ago. And so my parents got married when they were 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. And they lived in Canada. They lived in Powell River, British Columbia. My dad worked in a paper mill, you know, in, in British Columbia. And he got so scared of watching people get their arms, like, 
sucked into these, the things that would crush the wood into paper, that uh, they, he had like having ulcers and said, honey, we're moving to California. And so they did. And so that's why I, I get to live here instead of on a paper mill in British Columbia, although that sounds kind of cool. But uh, super hipster to be in a paper mill, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so they, they got married 18, 19. A year later, they have their first kid, which is uh, my older brother. A year after that, they have their second kid, okay? So right away, they have two kids. And when my sister, that was my sister, when my sister was born, they told uh, my mom and dad that they would no longer be able to have children. Like something happened in that process, you'll no longer be able to have children. So, you know, a year goes by, you kind of believe them. You know, five years goes by, you're believing them a little bit more. And 10 years, even more so, it's like sinking into your concrete thinking. 15 years goes by, like, wow, okay, this is, yeah, we're, we're, we're done. We're heading into, you know, approaching empty nest. They send off, uh, you know, my brother's like 18 years later, my brother's going off to college. He moves up to the Bay Area, goes to college up there. And then even like 19 years after when my sister was born, she gets married at 19. So my sister's married, my brother's gone. They are just in full empty nester mode. And then my mom gets really sick 20 years after my sister was born. And she's throwing up, and she goes to the doctor and says, I don't know what's wrong. I have the flu. Something's bad. And he says, honey, you don't have the flu. You're pregnant. (laughs) So 20 years later, like, you you know, I mean, you're really believing. Like, this is not—you're not going to have another baby. And so to me, I think about—I've got a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old daughter— and I think if 10 years from now we get pregnant, that is not a blessing. That's a nightmare, okay? That's like total nightmare. But there's a reason God gives us, you know, nine months or so to kind of adjust. And, you, you know, you shift from nightmare to blessing. And it's like they're starting to get excited and thinking about this like, wow, Lord, what are you doing in our lives? Like we're having another baby, okay, we're in. And then as I'm a little baby, um, I was diagnosed with leukemia. With cancer, cancer of the blood. When I was a baby, I had leukemia. And um, so my parents, um, you know, just thinking, like, wow, like, you know, this felt almost miraculous to us that we were getting, that we got pregnant now. And then now to find out this is just crushing and confusing. And so they, they actually, they asked the, the elders of the church to come into the hospital and to anoint me with oil and to lay hands upon me and pray that God would heal me. And in the next round, they did, they did another round of testing, and there was no sign of leukemia in my body, that I was healed of leukemia. Like, praise God, right? Like, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, like, just this incredible, like, story. And so for me to hear as a kid, I'm, I'm hearing these stories of, like, this is what it was like, you know, this, these incredible miracles happened in your life. And then, um, and then also the ha- kind of house I grew up in was this house where my parents just— like, took in people. My parents are these incredible people that just took in people that needed help. Like, this was what my life was like. This is the most 70s a picture can be, by the way, okay? Um, it's such an epic picture. Like, I love this picture so much. But this is what life was like when I was a little kid. My parents would just take in people that were, like, off drugs or girls that were pregnant and had no, like, people had abandoned them. They'd take them in. People who'd been abused and all of this are out of jail. And, like, this is my dad. This is my mom. This is me, the little, like, blonde-headed baby. It's my sister below me here. And this is her husband, this weird dude eating watermelon. <laughs> and he's, like, one of those dudes that was, like, doing drugs. And my parents took him in. And then they married their daughter, you know? It's crazy. And, uh... 
He's a good guy now. <laughs> so it's awesome, though, to see just the work that, like, parents just did these amazing things, bringing people into our home. And then, like, it just got where it was, like, the kind of thing where our home wasn't big enough. So they started these group homes and just had, like, homes that kids could come. It was called Concept 7 and had, like, homes for abused kids and homes for, uh, like, pregnant teenage girls or people that were out of juvenile hall before they were going to go, like, live on their own. And they had, like, this, uh, like, a foster family agency and everything. It was, like, all this stuff. I'm just like, wow, my mom was a therapist, and I had people, like, all the time coming up to me, just, oh, your mom saved our marriage. Oh, your mom's so amazing. And then my dad became, like, after doing this kind of work, became a pastor, and just, like, that was just his whole life of these parents that did this amazing stuff and these miraculous beginnings, but they were also pretty strict and had very high expectations of me, you know, like kind of, and how my actions were, and then academics, and all of that, and all that stuff. Everything I just shared is good. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's wonderful. But do you know how it felt to me as a kid? It felt like pressure. To me as a kid, all that stuff that's so good felt like pressure. Like, how can I live up to all of this? You know? How can I live up to these expectations? How can I live up to this, like, stuff? Like, are you telling me, like, my life's a miracle? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know? And, and it's awesome all that stuff happened, it's like, I, I have no complaints. But at the same time, I think it had some effects on the way that, that I related to God. And I had this, this sense of this thought that I now had to perform for God because of all of the stuff that happened for me, right? And I don't know if like you ever kind of feel some of this, but for me it felt a lot like, okay, if I read my Bible, pray every day, don't do bad stuff, you know, do good things for people. If I do all of that, then God loves me and I don't have guilt. If I don't read my Bible, pray every day, and I I do some, you know, I commit sins or whatever, then God does not love me and I'm filled with guilt and shame. That's that was like this simplistic formula of how that sort of played out in my psyche. And then it just continued on in this sense of like, this is how I am supposed to relate to God. And so when I say something like, don't give up grace and return to religion, it was so much easier for me just to think, no, 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 religion works. Like I got to do, if I do this, 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 and this, then I'm good. I'm a good person and God loves me and accepts me, Right. I don't know, like, I, I would think that some of you could relate to something like that in the way that you connect with God. And that's part of why I, it was easy for me to want to return to the works, return to religion. There's a, even a kind of a cool quote from this guy named Richard Lovelace who wrote this book, this like this kind of seminal work of dynamics of spiritual life. And in this, this quote he says, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus— apart from their spiritual achievements, they are subconsciously radically insecure people. Okay? If you're not sure that God loves and accepts you apart from your spiritual achievements, you become a radically insecure person. This is much less secure than non-Christians even, because the Christian person is receiving all these messages of righteousness and holiness and that you have to act this way. Okay? Now, he says then what happens is, is that insecurity shows itself in pride. 
in pride and in like defensiveness of your own righteousness. Like, no, I'm, I'm righteous. And it becomes this sort of like pharisaical legalism in the sense of that. And then other sins come out of that, of jealousy and envy, pride and, you know, judgmentalism and, and things like that. And so that's kind of what would, was happening really in my life. And I think though, in the midst of it, I was smart enough to know that I can't earn my salvation, right? Like all of it, within all of that, I can't earn my salvation. But what I would fall into is thinking that I could earn God's acceptance and love. Do you see the difference? Like I think a lot of us are smart enough to know we can't earn our salvation and we get that. We know that our works can't earn our salvation, but we think our works can earn God's love and God's acceptance of us. So don't give up grace for religion, no matter how tempting that might be. Okay, so that's our first portion here. Now let's move into the next portion of our passage, which is verses 12 to 16. And, and in this, it's got this, like, verse that's great, where he just says, Hey, where is that sense of blessing you had? You would have plucked out your eyes for me. I mean, that's crazy, right? He says, this is how intensely passionate and committed to the gospel that these people were. I mean, Paul, his mission was to go and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was all he was about. He was singularly focused on that mission, going around this region of the world and sharing it everywhere. And they were in on it at the beginning. You know, they took care of him. They were part of that gospel mission with him. And he He's like, where was that sense of blessing you had in the beginning? You would have even plucked out your eyes for me. But now, he says, now that I tell you the truth about all of this stuff, about the Judaizers and the religion and all that, now that I tell you the truth, I'm your enemy? You know, like, what, what's going on? You've lost your first love. And so I say for us, it's this, don't give up your gospel mission for consumer comfort. Okay? Don't give up your gospel mission for a consumer, you know, consumer-minded comfort that you have as, as a Christian in Orange County, California, okay? And he, so it's this whole thing of remember your first love. Remember that blessing that you first had. Remember when, for you, remember when you first became a follower of Jesus, and the passion that you had, and the joy that you had, and the, the way you want others to hear that message, to hear about Jesus. And maybe if you're like a, a lifer, you know, you've been growing up in a Christian home and all that, maybe for you it was kind of that, that time when your faith really became your own. You know, like that moment where my, my faith isn't just about my parents' you know, beliefs anymore, but this is now, this is my faith. And now you're passionate and you're living that out. Go back in your mind and your heart to that moment. And that's kind of what we have to get back to. And Paul says, be like me. Be like me. I want you to be like me as I'm like you in the midst of this whole thing. Be in this mission that I have. Now, like this, this whole thing of, of sharing the gospel, evangelism, right? Like really like talking to people about Jesus that, that don't know Christ. I sort of like true confessions, you guys. Like this is a thing that's like hard for me. You know, this is a thing in this faith. Like, I feel like there's so much of my life where I just be like, be like me in all of this, right? This is an area where it's hard for me. Like, where you take the conversation from, it feels like 
you know, the sort of like, hey, we're just having a normal conversation, and then you just go, Jesus, you know, and it's like, people are, whoa, you know, <laughs> and like that kind of moment, yeah, and it's like, it, sometimes it's hard, and it's, it doesn't have to be that abrupt, but, <laughs> but like, that's, that's a hard turn for me as a pastor, and I don't feel like I have the spiritual gift of, you know, evangelism, I don't feel like um, I'm sort of maybe naturally just bent towards that, but that doesn't mean that's any less my calling, right? Like that is all of our calling. It's the Great Commission. And, and so like I, I don't want to though just like beat myself up with guilt over that, but I also recognize like, ah, I want to live that out. Like I, I, I don't want to be, you know, someone that doesn't live that out. And I also want to have a heart for that. And so I just was thinking about like, okay, how, Lord, like I want to, I think I want to start with just really committing myself to prayer that I would have a heart for this. You know, that like, Lord, help me. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us power to do this. And I know this is hard for me. So, Lord, but I just want to take this time to really actually pray. Not like say I'm going to (laughs) pray. Actually pray. And so I, I just like, in the midst of it, I was trying to have something that I could remember that would kind of just live that out. And so I came up with this acronym. It's kind of like a cheesy acronym, but it's, it helps me remember because it's just like, why is it chow? There's no reason that it's chow, Uh, but it just helps me remember it. And uh, so chow is these four things. And these are four things that I'm praying. I've been praying for the last couple months. Lord, help me with this. Holy Spirit, give me this, please. So Lord, give me courage. Give me the courage and boldness to be able to turn that conversation, to when I see the moment, to go for it and not like wimp out from that essentially, you know? So Lord, give me the courage. And then H, Lord, give me a heart for this, right? Lord, give me a love for people and a desire for people to, to like grow that in me, that heart for evangelism. And then O is, Lord, give me opportunities. Please, Lord, like open up opportunities for me to be able to have that kind of conversation with someone. And then as those opportunities come, W, this is something the scriptures say, that, that God, will, through the Holy Spirit, will give you then words to say. So those moments when you feel like your intellect is not giving you anything, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is giving you words to say. And so this is my prayer. I pray, like, Lord, give me courage, heart, opportunity, words, and like just praying that over and over and over again. And so I just, maybe that would be something that's helpful for all of us, that we would be people who pray this prayer, that God would give Calvary Church, the people of Calvary Church, courage, heart, and opportunities, and then the words to say to people as we share our faith. Because we can't give up our gospel mission for consumer comfort. Because it's like, it's easier and more comfortable to not have that conversation, right? It's easier and more comfortable to just let it go by. That's what's easier. It's easier to not start talking to that person you don't know. That's easier, that's, that's our consumerism. It's easier to have church be the way we like it because we've gone to church for a long time. So it should be the way I like it as someone that's gone to church for a long time. Rather than having a heart that says, I want to be warm and welcoming and invitational to those who have never been to church. And I want our church to look like a place that, you know, like people would want to come who've never been to church. Like that's the heart I want to have in that. And so I want us to become a church that is warm and welcoming, and invitational. Like we, we look beyond just the people we already know, and we see people we don't know. That there would never be someone that would come to our church that doesn't have somebody invite them to come sit with them, or to go to lunch with them. I just heard a story recently of some 
uh, friends who were just like on a trip and they were um, driving and they were actually going to be going on their way to church in another city. And then they, uh, they saw this couple just like walking on the side of the road. And the dad's just like, hey, let's, we're going to pick these people up. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> you know, no, you know, that kind of thing. Because it's awkward. It's hard to make the turn. And, and it's like, and, and it's just so cool to me that they did. And then they said, they took these people, these people want to ride somewhere. They said, well, what if, hey, we're actually on the way to church. Would you just want to go to church with us? That's kind of like a weird thing to ask, right? It's like, that's the awkward thing, right? But pushed through that and said, want to, and the people were like, yes, we'd love to. So they went to church with them. And then after church, he said, okay, now we're like heading that, that way. We'll take you where you need to go. But would you want to have lunch with us? And they did. And they had lunch with them. You know, and it's just this awesome story of them being able to share their faith with these people and encourage them and help those that were in need. And it's like, that's the kind of people that I pray that Calvary Church would be, right? That's the kind of people that we need to be. And that we would be warm, welcoming, invitational. Our hearts are for the lost, for the new, for the one that's older, older than us, or the one that's younger than us. Whatever. Like we have a heart for those that look different than us. And that's what I hope for Calvary Church. But we have to care about our gospel mission more than having things be the way that we like them. Whether the music's the way we like it, or the, whoever's speaking is the way, we, the way the service is, the way things look, the temperature of the room, or whatever, you know? Like, all that stuff's got to be secondary. So don't give up your gospel mission for consumer comfort. So this next, the last chunk, okay? We're at the last chunk of our passage, 17 to 20. And uh, part of the key thing it says here is, they, those Judaizer people, right? They eagerly seek you. Now, the Greek of this eagerly seek you phrase, it means to puff up or flatter. Okay, that's what these words specifically mean. So these Judaizers, they puff you up, they flatter you with these kind of like sweet words, right? And they're making you feel good. And they're doing that not commendably, but they wish to shut you out. So they're kind of like drawing them away from the, like that church family, right? They're drawing them away with these sweet words that are kind of flattering words so that you'll seek them, that you'll be about all the rituals and stuff that they want you to be about. And he's like, don't let that, don't let that happen. Don't give up what is true for those sweet words of false teaching that come from wherever. And these kinds of, you know, false teaching words, they could come from all sorts of different angles, right? Because it could be false teaching that's that consumerism, right? False teaching to say like, oh yeah, have, have your faith be just according to your own desires, you know? Or however you want to be comfortable, that's how your faith should be. It could be that consumerism. It also could be almost more of like a, a works-based kind of legalistic fundamentalism, you know? Like where, oh, okay, I get my, my boxes checked, and as long as we have good behaviors, it's just, you know, it's like back to religion. But it also could be sort of what I think is like a, maybe a newer, more prevalent mindset is just kind of like a deconstructionistic kind of sweet words of false teaching, where you would take just, it's this kind of like popular thing right now, to take everything about your faith and especially if you've been in it for a while, to take all the things of traditions of your faith and deconstruct it all the way down. And, you know, take it all down to the bottom. And that, that's like maybe not even as bad. But what's really the worst part of it is what happens next is taking what you've deconstructed down 
and then building and constructing something new according to whatever's right in your own eyes versus the authority of Scripture, okay? So, yeah, if we deconstruct something, we take away things that we don't think are what God's Word says, that's fine, and build it up according to God's Word. But what's happening, these sweet words of false teaching are, oh yeah, deconstruction, man, we're all just deconstructing our faith and just kind of finding something new, but not just whatever's right in your own eyes. It's got to be according to the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. So don't give up truth. In the midst of all this. So if we have this, this gospel mission, right? And all these things that we want to be about grace. We want to be about the gospel. But that doesn't mean we sacrifice truth because of that. We still want to build all of it upon the word of God. And so Paul says to them, like, my children. He has this love for them, right? But he has this conviction. It's this firm heart. Core convictions don't move. But soft edges So it's love and grace. That grace and truth always go together and can go together. They're not mutually exclusive things, okay? So grace and truth together lived out. And Paul's just like, you know, because I'm perplexed. I don't get it. Why would you be going back to that? I want you to to stay focused on what, you know, on the, the main thing. Stay focused on grace. Stay focused on the gospel mission. Stay focused on the truth of Scripture and, and, and who Jesus is. And it's the same thing for us, but it's a message for us as a church, not just as individuals, but as a whole, okay? That we live this out together. That's part of how all this works. All of these letters are written to churches, not just to people. When it says Galatians. Now there are like a couple that are like written to a person. But these ones are written to churches. Galatians, right? Ephesians, Colossians. These are cities or areas that these are written to. All right? And so we live this out as a community. And so our, our mindsets need to grow and change as a community. That we would be people that are warm and welcoming and invitational and gospel focused rather than thinking about just kind of whatever we want you know honestly we, we just like hope we think as a church we just want our even like our complaints to be better you know honestly like we get like complaints about stuff you know it's fine but like complaints are about things like how what the temperature of the room or how loud the music is or the songs that are chosen or you know what the person was wearing on stage or just stuff like that you know and it's like I just, that stuff is our consumerism, right? Like, I want, I I would hope our complaints could be like, how, I wish that person wasn't sitting alone. Why did that person sit alone? Why did that, you know, why was the gospel not presented clearly that day? You know, like those kind of complaints where I just wish our complaints were better, you know, and that's what we hope for. And uh, I was just, I got a text from, from Doug Brown, our high school pastor. I got a text from him today. And uh, it was at 9 a.m. here. And they're in Albania with the high school group. So they're in Albania. And they were just about to start an evening service. And uh, he was saying to me, because he knew some of the stuff we were talking about. And he's just like, you know, <laughs> he's like, this service that we're in, like in the one we had like yesterday, he said, it was like the worst room you could ever be in. It was hot and miserable. The sound system was like the worst sound system ever. The music was terrible. <laughs> you know, and just like everything was kind of like what we think of as just sort of like done poorly and not very comfortable. And he said, 
And it was the best worship service ever. God was praised. God was praised in this place because it wasn't about us. It was about him. And so I want us to kind of get in that like missions trip mentality, right? Like let's get in that mode where we're thinking about like how we can please God and that we just worship God. Our focus is on him versus on ourselves. And so we, we got to process this stuff then, right? And we, we process this even like right now. I'd love for us just to do that as we spend a little time writing. So pull out that, that outline again. And after hearing all of what we've just talked about, uh, you can see like there's, there's parts where it's like, what would God write to Calvary about grace over religion? What would God write to Calvary Church about gospel over comfort? What would God write to Calvary about truth over false teaching? And so now take a couple minutes and just like think now, what do you think, God? After hearing all this, what would God say to Calvary Church about these areas specifically? So just take a couple minutes and work on writing that. Thirty more seconds. So we did this as a staff this week too. We have a staff chapel every Tuesday morning and we kind of went, we went through this process together, just writing some of this stuff down. And then, and I think it's good for you to think these things through and, and write these down. And, and then what we did next is then we prayed and we asked God for forgiveness. You know, we repented of the ways that as a church, we've put religion over grace. You know, as the, way, the ways that we've put our own comfort over the gospel and how we've listened to, you know, the allure of sweet words over false teaching. And we repented of that. And so I want to just lead us and guide us through just a little bit of a, a time of prayer through these, these three ways that I've talked about that you see on the screen, but... Just that we can ask God for forgiveness as a church. So we're praying as a whole, okay? Like we each are praying. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and pray something out loud or something. But 
uh, I want you to have a heart of prayer, okay? So we're going to pray, and I want you just to pray, like, God, we want to be a church that acts differently, right? We want to see the gospel made known. And so let's first ask for forgiveness, and then we'll ask for God's power to move in our church. So join me in prayer. Lord, we humbly come before you and we ask that you would forgive us for putting religion over grace. Lord, for needing the tangible when you offer the spirit. Lord, for putting obligation as our motive over joy and love for you, God. Take a moment and just pray to God about that, about putting religion over grace. as a community, Lord, that you would forgive us for placing our comfort and our preferences above the mission of the gospel. Lord, help us to get back to our first love. Lord, may we not be well-trained soldiers who never go into battle. Spend some time praying about that. Father, I pray that you would forgive us Lord, as a church for allowing the sweet words of false teaching to ever be placed above the truth of your word, God. And Lord, for each of us, we're, like, however that plays out, if that's in that consumerism or if that's in the works-based legalism or if that's in deconstruction and constructing something in our, in our own ways rather than yours, God, I pray that you'd forgive us for that. Spend some time praying about that. So almighty God, we come before you and we ask again, Lord, just forgive us for the ways that we've gotten off track, Lord. But Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit to live these things out, God, not through ourselves, but through your power. And we would see fruit, God. May the gospel mission be our focus over our comfort, Lord. May the truth be what guides us of who you are, Lord. And I pray that we would understand your grace when we're so like, enticed by religion, God. So I pray that as a church, we would grow in these things, Lord, that we would be known as a community that loves you 
and, and just seeks to see your good news made known in the world, in our lives, with our neighbors, with our friends. God, may you change us for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so that's, our, that's like our prayer, our hope, and we want to respond to this, right? We want to live our lives in this way. We want to 